Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you Make things better. Hey there. Welcome to today's program. I'm glad you're able to join in today. Um, bit of a sad morning, of course. We had another school shooting in Ohio yesterday, and of course our hearts go out to the families of the victims, the family of the kids who were traumatized but not shot, the family of the shooter, the shooter. Always tragic when these things happen, and, well, it sure would be nice if we could prevent them completely. That may be the uh, impossible dream. But uh, on to uh, today's program. I'm glad you're able to join in. This is, of course, your weekly helping of collaborative problem solving. I, lots of people tell me they just listen to the program so they can get back on track, get themselves in the right space, which is outstanding. And, of course, many people do call in. If you are one of those people who would like to do so and one person has already taken advantage of that offer, Opportunity, I guess. Uh, the call in number, 347 994 2981. I am so far behind on questions that I've received by email, words cannot say. So I apologize to those of you who have submitted a question by email or through the contact from the Lives and Balance website. Um, if we don't get a ton of callers today, I'll answer a bunch of them. If we get callers, callers always take priority on the program. Um, but let's turn to our first caller today from area code 312. Two. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Dr. Green? I'm doing okay. Good. Um, I spoke to you last week about my daughter who has ataxia, and you were gracious enough to ask um, or to allow our school, if they would have allowed, to um, sit down on the IEP meeting where we were going to discuss the ALSEP. Um Unfortunately, they were not able to take us up on that offer, but I do appreciate it. Um, what, do, I, what does that mean they weren't able to take you up on that offer? Well, I didn't really get any direct explanation other than that the school system will not allow it. Um, we're actually meeting tomorrow at 11 o'clock, so I hope to get a little bit more detail at that point. Please do. Please do, because okay. um, I don't understand what that means, and we're not going to take that laying down. Okay. Um, well, I have a question for you. I, I had a unique situation with my daughter yesterday. 
Um, I went to get her up in the morning, as we always do, and get ready for school, which she's always been very happy to do. And um, yesterday morning, she just pulled the covers over her head and said, I I don't want to go to school today. Mm. And um, long story short, she because of her ataxia, she fell in a parking lot. She was trying to walk independently and, and fell and scraped her knees and stuff. And she had it in her head that if she went to school, that the children were going to somehow see her knees, even though they'd be covered by pants, um, and make fun of her. And I tried to reassure her that I didn't believe that was the case, as she's never been made fun of, thank goodness, and she's got a very supportive um, group of peers. So I decided to try to take this a little further, and, and I got out a book that we refer to a lot that has feelings and feeling words in it, and I started to list all these feelings, and she started to identify what she was feeling, and, and then I had her rate them on a scale of one to five, five being really high and one not so much. And the big one she came up with was embarrassed, and she was embarrassed by her scrapes. She didn't want people to see them. She then went on to say that she's also very upset because she falls and other kids don't fall. She's not steady and other kids are. And there aren't kids in her classroom that are... Um, unsteady like she is. She's the only one. So I kind of broke off with that and went a little further and said, well, how does that make you feel? And she went into angry, upset, and mad. And then saying that she's really upset and mad because she's the only one in fifth grade like this and it makes her feel different. So the first question I have is, can you drill too far? I um, think you could drill to the point that you annoy the kid. Okay. But she was I don't very compliable. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you annoyed her. And the truth is, what makes you think you might have drilled too far? I'm actually sitting here. You've got me intrigued and thinking, let's drill further. Well, because I, I put all this in an email, kind of with a lot of detail to everyone on her team at school. Uh, to explain to them why Julia was home, I, I just let her stay home. I, I wasn't going to fight it. I just it's, just wasn't worth the fight. And so um, I put that in an email so that they could be abreast of what was going on as we're trying to get your approach to clever problem solving, hopefully, into the school. Um, and I had put in a call specifically to the caseworker because I kind of felt like she was probably my best point of contact for figuring out maybe what we can do about this going further. And her first question to me was, well, I thought we were doing Dr. Green and not doing feeling stuff. And it kind of took me back a minute because I thought, oh, boy, maybe I'm not understanding that uh, the empathy step or the drilling step, and maybe I took it too far, and that's why I'm asking. No, I wouldn't say too far. And I always say that I'm not allergic to asking kids what they feel but that um, what I'm mostly looking for is her concern or perspective, and feelings often don't give me concern or perspective. Um, and that's why I'm thinking I'd love to get, so I don't know, maybe Dr. Green has a reputation now for saying don't ask kids what they're feeling. Um, <laughs> no allergy to asking a kid what they're feeling. I just find that asking a kid what they're thinking is actually more, gives me better information than what they're feeling. You've okay. you got some... Sort of, sort of the prototypical feelings from your daughter, and I'm 
happy to know she's feeling the way she is. Actually, it sounds like she's not feeling so good, so I'm sorry that she's feeling the way she is. But what I'm really looking for is her concern or perspective. So I wouldn't say you drilled too far by asking about feelings, and you probably I'm not sure that I've ever run into a circumstance in which I thought somebody drilled too far. I'm always grateful for whatever information I get from a child when I'm drilling for information or observing other people drilling for information. guess I'm just interested in learning more from your daughter about um, what's embarrassing for her. She's given you some information. She falls. Other kids don't. But I want to hear more about what's embarrassing and what's hard and what's related to her feeling like she doesn't want to go to school. So you 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 t- sort of took a um you took an interesting exit off the highway and went into feelings and not a terrible place to go, but I'd encourage you to get back on the drilling highway. Okay. And ask some more questions about what's hard for her. Um I I'd, I'd want to know how the other kids might react to her falling. Um, so there's, you know, I'm just sort of brainstorming here with a variety of things that I might ask further. Um, one of the things that uh, I've done a better job of in recent years is giving people some strategies for drilling. And I'm happy to review them now, and you can pick and choose whichever one seem most appropriate the next time you're drilling for information with your daughter on okay. this unsolved problem. Uh, strategy number one is asking questions beginning with the word who, what, where, when. Um, so an example of a what question might be um, what's embarrassing for you about that? Um, and if she says, uh, kids give me a hard time about that, then I'd go with a who question. Uh, or I might go with another what question. What kids? Who? Another drilling strategy is asking your daughter about the different conditions in which the unsolved problem occurs. That one, I'm not sure how applicable that one's gonna be. Um, are there certain like uh, are there certain times when falling is harder than others? That question, quite frankly, doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. Although, to tell you the truth, do you fall more during certain activities than others could, especially if she's like falling during recess? So maybe that one's still in the running. A third drilling strategy is breaking the unsolved problem down into its component parts. I just don't know if drilling has component parts, so I don't know if that one's going to apply. Here comes the one that I've mentioned already. Asking the child what he or she, in this case she, is thinking in the midst of the unsolved problem, and that's where I usually say, notice I didn't say feeling, and I'm you know, I'm not, once again, not allergic to asking a kid how they feel, but I get a lot more information that I'm looking for by asking a kid what they're thinking. And that could be, what are you thinking, in case of your daughter, what are you thinking in the morning when you're thinking about going to school? Um, what are you thinking when you fall? What are you thinking the other kids are thinking when you fall? All sort of questions that I'd be interested in about. Okay. And then... The, five, the fifth strategy is using clarifying statements and questions like, how so? I don't quite understand. Um, can you say more about that? I'm confused. What do you mean? Those are intended just to keep your daughter talking about this 
And to clarify what she's saying, one of the things adults frequently feel pressured to do when they're in the empathy step is intuit what the child is trying to say. And often that causes adults to sort of jump to conclusions about what the child is trying to say. And I don't think we know what your daughter is trying to say necessarily. And I'd like to hear even more about it, to tell you the truth. So feelings, certainly no criminal offense for asking her about how she's feeling. I usually get more from thinking. And you might have more drilling to do. By no means does it seem to me that you drilled too far. Okay. Well, it kind of leads leads me into the second part of this question in that in talking to the caseworker, she has stated more than once that she feels that, you know, she kind of wants to put all this and all her behavior issues into this one jar and say it's all because she doesn't feel good about herself because of her disability. And I kind of got a little, I pushed back on that yesterday when we were on the phone with it. And I said, well, you know, when she when she got mad because she couldn't go to the pizza party, that didn't have anything to do with her disability. And when she got mad because the handwriting was getting too taxi, and that really didn't have anything to do with her falling. But my bigger question is, how would we know um, if there is this kind of underlying, you know, does this stuff kind of just lay down there and, and under the surface for a while and then boil up? And is there a way to know that it's there and maybe get it before it can boil? Because there's a collective thought that as a child like Julia, who's 10 years old, is growing and maturing, uh, you know, developmentally becoming more aware about herself and and the differences about her, um, that there is just this natural desire for children to kind of start to assess where they are in the world with their peers. You know, how, how do you address that when the child does have a, you know, very medical, uh, physical disability that's tangible and that's not going away anytime soon. I mean, where does that fall into this? Well, I think that that's something you would learn about in the empathy step of Plan B. Um, I don't rule out the possibility that there are things that are what what we might call underlying that we're not aware of yet. But until we hear about it from the child, and we would hear about it by asking in the empathy step, then at the moment it's still a theory or a hypothesis. And I'm sometimes often actually skeptical of adult hypotheses. I find that we are frequently wrong. I think that it's fine to be on the lookout. Um, But I'd actually be much more concerned about what we're learning about your daughter. And to tell you the truth, given the example of the empathy step that you've described, it sounds like she's willing to tell us. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, One of the challenges I'm having in the area that I live in is finding a mental health professional who practices what you preach. Um, And I'm actually going to come and and listen to you speak tomorrow in the suburbs, and I was hoping to get there early to network to possibly find someone because I would like for someone professionally to kind of start talking to her, but I I can't find anybody in this area. At least there yet. will be there will be people at the talk. Now, don't scare me. This isn't tomorrow. This is the next day, right? Oh, um, I thought it was. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. It's Thursday. You're right. Sorry. Good. Boy, boy yeah. I got to tell you, that's that that along with double booking appointments is about as scary as it gets. <laughs> Sorry, um, my days I, I haven't. I haven't. No, no, that's okay. I haven't missed one yet. 
but due, due to my own uh, scheduling errors. But um, I have double booked. That's never pleasant. Um, no, I think you're talking about Thursday. Um, yeah. And I'm and please do introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. Thank you. Um, and let's see if I can find out if there's anybody in your area who might be helpful to you. I would really appreciate that because I, I think it would be a next uh, really good thing for my daughter. And I appreciate all your help, Dr. Green. You've, you've been a lifesaver for us. Uh, my pleasure. That's why I'm and Lives in the Balance here, are here. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Um, that is why I and Lives in the Balance are here. And uh, that's why we do this radio program every week during the school year because um, that's what Lives in the Balance is for, support, help, Compassion, understanding, cool, eh? Uh, looks like I'm going to get some email answered today, which is also cool. Here's one uh, when it comes up in my email here. Well, my email just closed on me. So we'll have to wait just a second on that. And now it's back up. All right. Hi, Dr. Green. I wanted to thank you. Your website has been a big help for me. Um, that's music to my ears. I have a five-year-old daughter. For about two years, I've had issues with tantrums that were at first pretty intense, slamming herself down on pavement or hard floors, but has calmed down a great deal. I noticed that the more she learned how to communicate, the less intense the tantrums got. Well, I'm glad about that. Uh, this is me out of context of the email here. Um, I'm glad they got less intense. Language is a big one. And, of course, in kids who don't develop language as quickly as we would like to, that's a leading explanation and an often overlooked one for why they're throwing tantrums. Now back to the email. They had finally stopped until my daughter's father disappeared. Then she began to have the tantrums again and also started scratching and hitting herself. I knew that there was something wrong, but I had no idea how to fix the issue. It was like I was lost in a city and couldn't find a map to where I wanted to go. She was doing this everywhere. When she started school, I was very lucky that her VP, I think that means vice principal, and her teacher who were working with me constantly trying to help her and who were able to work with her private speech therapist, who was also awesome as well. They started using a visual schedule, great strategy, which was a lot of help and keeping her in the same routine day-to-day help too, but it didn't stop the tantrums. I tried plan A parenting, which didn't work. Spoke with one of my best friends and decided to ask her doctor for some assistance. No meds, just some insight into what I could do to help her with what her issues were. By this time, I wasn't embarrassed about her having tantrums. I just wanted to fix the issue that was bugging her so she could have a happy childhood. He recommended another doctor in the office who worked with kids with behavior issues. When we saw her, we figured that it was a communication issue, but she said she'd refer to me to a therapist as well as I would like. The therapist, who was a lovely doctor as well, recommended your book. Since I started reading it, haven't finished it yet, and listening to your program, have heard every single one on iTunes. Good for you, and I'm glad you're listening today. It's been a big help. Her teacher at school and speech therapist have both said they see a big difference in her. And I just wanted to thank you. She has been expressing herself a lot more, and when she doesn't know how to express something, she'll say, I don't know how to say, which I'm so happy about. She wouldn't talk about her father, though. With all the drilling, she would just say she's sad and she wants to play. Yesterday, after she woke up, she told me that she missed her dad. 
She missed playing with him, and it made her sad. She also said she is mad at herself. This, to me, was a huge breakthrough. I know it's a long road ahead, but I feel a lot better knowing that I have a map. But I'm curious to know if you have seen a lot of cases of kids hitting themselves, hitting or hurting themselves. I've heard a lot on your show of kids hitting others, but not themselves. Thanks. Thank you for writing, and um, you're welcome. And I'm so glad that things are getting better with your daughter. It sounds like you are getting good help. sounds like you've got your collaborative problem-solving and speech therapy roadmap. It sounds like you understand what's getting in your daughter's way, and it sounds like she's starting to talk, even though talking is not her best thing. Wow. And she's five, which means... You're getting there, and um, it's still pretty early, and that's fantastic. Um, and it sounds like your theory is accurate. She is missing her dad, and I hope um, you two are able to continue talking about that. Whether that alone is going to re- dramatically reduce the tantrums even further, we'll find out. Um, Hearing about it, just hearing about it in the empathy step can be a huge help. Um, We'll see. But you're on your way. And I am very happy that you wrote in. Shall we turn to another email? I should give you that call-in number again, just in case you missed it, 347-994-2981. One of our Listeners is constantly reminding me to remind everybody of the phone number, and so now I've done it. There you go. Dr. Green, I read your book, The Explosive Child, which was quite helpful in dealing with my seven-and-a-half-year-old son who fits the bill exactly of all you describe in your book. I have three questions. Here we go. Number one, my son is having difficulty playing any games. He always wants to be the absolute winner So if we play soccer, no one can score even one single goal, or he melts down and refuses to play any longer. Do you have any suggestion for how to work with this situation? Yes. Plan B. The empathy step would start with the following words. I've noticed that when we're playing soccer, it's hard for you when somebody else scores a goal. What's up? I don't have any suggestions until I know why. I can tell you that, until I know what his concern or perspective is on why somehow he has it in his head that no one else can score even one single goal and he has to be the absolute winner. I can tell you that I've seen that, especially in some of the kids who I've worked with who were very concrete, literal, black-and-white thinkers. They also sometimes had a perfectionistic streak but they frequently had very rigid notions about the way games in particular were supposed to go and the way games in particular were supposed to end and what the outcome would be. So I don't know if those are the lagging skills that are coming into play for your son, but we won't know what he's thinking or what's getting in his way until we do the empathy step of Plan B. I have probably nothing more to suggest beyond that. We need info. Ready for question number two? 
when I send my child to a new camp or any new activity, should I state his issues from the beginning? Most of the time he doesn't fail to get into a situation. Most of the time he doesn't get into a situation since there are rules to follow. How should I explain the problem to the caregivers in a very simple and convincing matter since most of the time I get the look that I'm bringing up a spoiled and disrespectful child? Hmm. I guess my question is, what is it that you want to say to them about him? I um, like uh, letting people know who a child is, even if we expect that there won't be any problem. What's the downside in letting people know? I mean, when I um, would drop my children, both of my children were pretty separation anxious, probably the gene pool. I was separation anxious myself. Oh, wait a minute. I just, everything's 100% nature and 100% nurture, so probably can't be the gene pool completely. But um, I let people know that my kids were separation anxious ahead of time so they'd know what was walking in the door. Why surprise people? Um, Then we could strategize ahead of time so that we were dealing with problems proactively rather than dealing with a kid who was having difficulty separating in the heat of the moment. Boy, that's a predictable one. Um, But I guess the big question is, what is it that you want to explain? And bigger than that... Are you sure the look you're getting is it bringing up a spoiled and disrespectful child? Um, I, I guess I occasionally got looks from people when I told them that my child might have difficulty separating. I got that look and sometimes the comment that said, ah, being overprotective, he'll be fine. Um, if he would be fine, then I wouldn't be letting him know that he or she was separation anxious in the first place. That's why I'm letting them know. He or she weren't fine. Anyways, what do you want to let them know? That your son has difficulty when other people score goals? That's hard for him? I'd let them know that. And to just keep an eye out for it. You're not asking them to do anything special. You just one info from them about how it's going, and you want to let them know who your son is ahead of time. I'd call that very good form. Um, Even if you're not anticipating that there's going to be a problem because there's rules. Question number three. My child behaves in the same explosive manner everywhere. His school is dealing with him okay, but of course it's hard to convince them that consequences don't work so well. What's your advice? Also, when he gets angry that he failed at a task, he screams and runs and sometimes says he'll kill himself. Hence, the school sent me to the county crisis center to get a letter that he's okay and won't admit him back. Or they won't admit him back, sorry. I did that, but how can I convince the school it doesn't mean anything? It's just a way of expressing frustration. Well, uh, they may not take your word on that it doesn't mean anything. they got liability to worry about, and maybe they're also worried about your son and the possibility that he might hurt himself. So um, I would say good for them for being worried about your son, if that's the main issue. Um, I wonder if their consequences are contributing to him, uh, his difficulties. I I will say that him getting angry that he failed at a task is yet another thing that I often see in those concrete, literal, black-and-white, perfectionistic kids who 
have a certain idea about the way things are going to go and have great difficulty moving off of those things when they don't go that way. Um, I think it's time to sit down with the folks at school with the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, and hopefully, unlike our uh, caller today, hopefully they won't say to you that it's against the rules to use the ALSIP. That just makes no sense whatsoever. It's against the rules to get to know a student through the prism of lagging skills and unsolved problems. My bet is they do it all the time, just not as well as the ALSIP does it. But anyways... I think it might be time to sit down with them. I don't think you're trying to convince them of anything yet in terms of interventions. I think you got to lead with lagging skills and unsolved problems. Let's make sure you and they are on the same page about who we got here, what the unsolved problems are. Um, you've already heard from me some of the lagging skills that I'm betting could get lit up here. Um, concrete, literal, black and white thinking, difficulty shifting off an original idea or solution, things like that. They're on the ALSIP. Sounds like could be your son. You'll find out. But I think you don't want to get into um, a discussion about strategies until everybody's on the same page about who your son is through the prism of lagging skills and under what conditions, this is unsolved problems, those lagging skills are interfering for your son. Then you're ready to talk about strategies. I hope that response was helpful. Next email. Good, we're making some catching up here. Dr. Green, my son is 14 years old and in the seventh grade. He's in a self-contained classroom. Uh, with a teacher and an aide, his school day modified. We go in every other week to change his IEP. For the last three years, his explosions at school have become out of control. The school has just informed me that the military police will be called since he's a safety issue to others and himself. They restrain him every day, which sets him off. I don't blame him. He tosses his... I don't see what he tosses. It says he tosses his classroom. I'm betting he doesn't toss his classroom, but that's probably a typo, and has become unresponsive to everyone around him. Well, now, I'm, I'm uh, not reading the email right now, but if I was getting restrained every day, and if I'd been out of control for the last three years, I think I'd become unresponsive to everyone around me. I'll go back to the email here. They transitioned him in regular classrooms, but he would shut down and refuse to do the work. He's the same way at home. I give in so I don't have explosions. My husband, a soldier, does not give in. He pushes him to the extreme and just sees our son as a bad kid. Whoa, we got some work to do here on multiple fronts. His sister, age eight, is scared of him. She's starting to copy his fits just to get attention. That I'm not so sure about. I hear that theory frequently. She might not be copying she might have the same difficulties with frustration that he does. Just might be starting to pop up now. He has been diagnosed with manic depression, bipolar disorder, ODD, and anxiety. He is on tons of medication, which make him controllable. Doesn't sound like it, to tell you the truth, but don't seem to help. That was editorial comment by me. 
He has been hospitalized three times at short-term psych hospitals. I don't want to do residential, but at this point in time, if I don't get proper help, he's going to have to go. He is very emotional, and his doctors are not sure how to help him. No one knows what is wrong. Please help. His school has been over backwards, but not the administration. His doctors try, but with patient overload, it's hard. I am exhausted and can't do this alone. I totally understand. And um, this sounds like a very desperate, serious situation, and it sounds like it's been going on for a very long time. And if I'm reading between the lines, it sounds like your son is losing hope. Um, as I say on this program frequently, It's very hard to help a kid, impossible to help a kid, unless you know what's getting in his way. When we don't know what's getting in a kid's way, and the kid is out of control, that's when all kinds of stuff starts to enter into the picture. Police getting called, getting restrained every day. Wow. Lots of meds. Lots of diagnoses. Now, I don't know if this will be the answer because it sounds like your son is in pretty dire straits at the moment, and so are you. And it's not helping that your husband just sees your son as a bad kid and pushes him to the extreme. Um, and I don't know that it has anything to do with your husband being a soldier. I've worked with soldiers who didn't do that, so... Who knows? I will say this. We're not talking about basic training here. We're talking about a kid with lots of diagnoses, lots of meds, lots of people trying to help him, lots of restraints, psych stays, psych inpatient unit stays. My question is, how come we haven't yet figured out what's getting in your son's way? And... Who can do that in your area for you? So here's what I'd like you to do. Um, actually, I'm going to email this to you as well because I have your email address. Um, let's see if there is somebody in your area who uh, is trained in collaborative problem solving and who might be able to help. I don't know what your area is, so I can't tell you whether there is or not. But let's see if we can get you some help somebody is going to have to answer the question, who is your son and what's getting in his way? Otherwise, the meds will continue, the diagnoses will continue, the restraints will continue, the police getting called will continue, the inpatient stays will continue. These are all the symptoms of us, frequently the symptoms of us not yet having figured out what's getting in your son's way. Now, I would need a lot more detail to be able to help you with that, but maybe there's somebody in your area who can, because I don't know what area you're in. I don't know if I can do that. But I hope somebody is in your area. Now let's see what we can do to get a handle on what's getting in your son's way. And as you well know, you know what I'm going to be asking about. Lagging skills, unsolved problems. I mean, I hate to be reductionistic, Maybe your son does need meds for something. I don't know. Maybe he does meet criteria for some of those diagnoses. Given the ones he's gotten, it sounds like he's a pretty complex kid, so maybe not so easy to figure out. 
but if we don't figure it out, I don't foresee this situation changing very much. I'll email you. Let's see if we can get you some help where you're at now. Otherwise, you're probably right. He's going to end up in a facility, and some facilities do a good job of figuring that stuff out, and some don't. So you'll want to be careful there, too. But let's see if I can help from a distance, if I am at a distance. Here we go, another one. Hi, Dr. Green. I've been using collaborative problem solving for my nine-year-old daughter who has been diagnosed with ADHD and ODD, and I'm glad to report it is working. I'm glad, too. Recently, though, she has experienced bad dreams regarding her twin sister, that her twin sister has been, that somebody's been kidnapped. Can't tell if it's her twin sister or her. I used CPS, I would take it that's the empathy step, to get the information needed as she has become terribly paranoid and her explosions are very often. She's driving her poor sister crazy by asking every three seconds where she is in the house, although she's worried that her sister is going to get kidnapped, by asking every three seconds where she is in the house and follows her around outside. Of course, if if her sister tries to get away from her, and that sets the explosion into gear. Anything you can recommend to help us? Well, you've done what I would recommend to help, but I don't have the information I need to know how far it got you. I get it. She had bad dreams that her sister had been kidnapped. I get it that you used the empathy step to get the information I don't know what that information is. You know, you can call in if you want, or you can email back if you want. Tell me what it is that you learned in the empathy step. Then I'm in a much better position to help you because I know she's worried, but I want to drill for a lot more information than that. And we reviewed the drilling strategies at the top of the program, The ones that might make the most sense are the first one, who, what, where, when. The the fourth one, what are you thinking? And the fifth one, the clarifying questions. How so? I don't quite understand. Let's see if you can understand what she's worried about well enough, what, what she's doing. The solution is reducing her anxiety but driving her sister crazy. Do feel free to email back or call into the program, and if you want to let me know what you found out, and I'll, if you haven't gotten all of it, I'll, maybe I'll make some suggestions for other questions you could be asking. I think we have time for one more today, and then I'll read a nice one that I got from somebody who didn't have a question but was just saying thank you. Dr. Green, the CPS model is appropriate for verbally explosive kids, according to what I read. Well, it's appropriate for nonverbal explosive kids, too. That's me talking. Could these kids include those with the following diagnoses? Here we go. ODD, conduct disorder, Asperger's disorder, depression, bipolar disorder, temper dysregulation disorder. That's from the DSM-5. Tourette's disorder, intermittent explosive disorder. That, of course, is the DSM-4-TR. I think it's disappearing. I'm not sure. I forget. OCD, PTSD, school folk, via... ADHD, if I make this claim, is it accurate? I've only read an empirical study of using CPS with kids diagnosed with ODD. You're right. 
the published the paper that I published in the Journal of Consulting and Clinical Psychology in 2004. The sample was kids with ODD who also had symptoms of various forms of mood dysregulation. Now, I mean, it depends how technical you want to be. Anecdotally, I've applied and seen CPS be effective with every diagnosis you mentioned there. Um, the bad news is I'm not a very diagnostically oriented mental health professional, and therefore I'm actually not all that devoted to doing studies on the effectiveness of collaborative problem solving with each of those individual diagnoses. I'm not interested. Um, all a diagnosis really tells you is what a kid looks like when he's looking bad. i got better things to do with the rest of my career than to study the effectiveness of ODD in all of those different diagnoses, especially since I don't think diagnoses in a huge way differentiate one behaviorally challenging kid from another. So... I'll keep studying the effectiveness of ODD of a uh, CPS, but I'm not going to stratify by diagnosis. There's a big study going on at the Virginia Tech Child Study Center now, replicating that 2004 study that I published. Um, they have a much larger sample, so they will be able to stratify by diagnosis. So you may get some of the information that you're looking for. I've been supervising the collaborative problem-solving therapists in that study. From what I understand, the data bear great resemblance to the 2004 study that I published. Um, and collaborative problem-solving is at least the equivalent of the empirically validated approach that it's being compared to, which means that when that paper comes out, if the data hold up, collaborative problem-solving will be recognized as a well-established, empirically supported treatment, and that's good. Um, so you can't make the claim if you want to be technical about it, but if you want to be anecdotal about it, I've applied collaborative problem-solving to kids who've met all of those diagnoses and have found it effective with those kids. It's just that I don't think in terms of what the child's diagnosis was. Let me read one more email to close out the day. It's not a uh, question. It's a uh, thank you. Nice way to end the program. Dr. Green, thanks for answering my call this morning on your radio program. This might be who just called. I can't remember. Um, finding you on your website has been life-changing. My daughter was never one that took well to rewards, as they were usually very ineffective. I was raised in a very Plan A home, and my husband was raised in a very Plan C home. We instinctively knew that we were not parenting her effectively. We just could not put this together ourselves. I feel like you're the only person who has finally understood our daughter. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you again for your compassion and understanding of our children. My pleasure. Um, it's so nice to hear from people who get a lot out of collaborative problem solving. But i got to be honest with you. I get a lot out of it, too. Seeing be better understood, helping adults view kids through the prism of lagging skills instead of all the other stuff that gets said about these kids, 
helping adults learn how to do collaborative problem solving, seeing kids doing better as a result of it. Uh, my cup runneth over. And it is extremely gratifying to me that I'm able to give it away for free on the Lives in a Balance website and on these radio programs. So um, thanks for thanking me, but thank you. I think that's going to do it for us today. We made some decent uh, ground up on our emails, but uh, not enough. That's why I'll be back again next week, straight through May, with another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Um, Look forward to talking with you again next week. Take care.